Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good morning. The reading this morning is from Revelations chapter 21 and 22, verses 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, they will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last full of the seven last plagues came and said to me come i will show you the bride the wife of the lamb and in the spirit he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god it has the glory of god in a radiance like a very rare jewel like jasper clear as crystal It has a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates are inscribed the name of the 12 tribes of the Israelites. On the east three gates, the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. The wall of the city has 12 foundations, and on them are the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the thitter and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall. 144 cubits by human measurement, which the angel was using. The wall is built of jasper, 
while the city is pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city are adorned with every jewel, the first with jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth was onyx, the sixth corners, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophile, the eleventh jackson, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each of the gates is a single pearl, and the street of the city is pure, pure gold, and transparent, transparent as, as gold, as, as glass. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its, greats, its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination of falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb Book of Life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the strait of the city. On either side of the city and the river is the tree of life, with it twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of all nations. This is the word of the Lord. God be to God. Thank you. The book of Revelation, I don't know how many people know this or not, but it almost didn't make the cut into the Bible. The book of Revelation, when all the people, all the priests of the day, got, they got together in a council and they sat down, and they're trying to figure out what books got to be in the Bible. There was a group of people who sat down and did that. And the book of Revelation almost didn't make it. Because people said, I don't get it. What on earth is that book talking about? And if anybody's read it, it's full of all sorts of crazy things. It's all sorts of imagery. And they said, we, because it's authorship, we're going to put it in. But we are worried. They didn't use the words I'm about to use. I'm paraphrasing it. It's too symbolic. People will never understand what it means. The Gospels, right? People read the Gospels. The Gospels are easy. They tell you, go out and do this thing and then come back and go there. It's very instructive. Very instructive. The book of Revelation has seals, dragons, pregnant women, transparent gold. Have you ever seen transparent gold? 
a lot of the stuff in here, on a literal level, hard to believe. I'm wondering people thinking, wow, this must be crazy. You know, I couldn't help, and I'm going to reference it in a bit, but I want to start with it. You know, a hundred years ago, in 1918, the first airmail flight happened. They decided a hundred years ago that there was mail so important that it had to fly in a plane. That mail had to go 218 miles. That's how far. That's, what, here to New York maybe? New York to Washington, D.C.? And to get it on that plane, to collect it and get it on that plane, it took three days. 1918, your average letter was a minimum of two weeks in delivery. Do you think a hundred years ago, if you talked to the Postmaster General and talked about next day shipping from the U.S. to Europe, they could have believed you? Lots of crazy things out there when you think. But somebody had visions. Someone had the idea, hey, we have planes. We can put mail on it. Now, the post office did not have, by the way, air service at that time. They did it by putting it on to U.S. military planes for the first year of air mail delivery until they showed the world how important it was to put mail onto planes. Someone had that vision of saying mail is that important. Visions transform our lives. You know, for centuries, the things we used to help us transform our lives were these celestial bodies in the sky. They are crucial, day and night. The location of the sun, denoting the times of the day. The moon, denoted the days of the month. We oftentimes don't look at the moon anymore and think that, right? Because we have calendars, we have smart watches, we have all these devices that tell us what day it is, but the cycles of the moon, the placement of stars, they helped us figure out where we were in time. The sun was hailed as the ruler of the day and the moon was the governor of the night. These two bodies have had immense influence. They've inspired the minds of artists and scientists and the great intellectuals throughout history. And in our reading in the New Jerusalem today, they're gone. In the New Jerusalem, there is no moon and there is no sun. So I have a question for you all. Do you think, as people who heard the entirety of this passage, transparent glass, the disappearance of the sun and the moon, do you think that this is an actual statement of what is going to happen? A city four square the size of the United States whose door is essentially one door is in D.C., one door is in New York, and one door would be in Boston, right? That's if you had three doors on each side. Do you foresee 
that city descending as an actual event. Maybe some people do. I know some that believe it. There's a great picture on the internet with a big square yellow ball on a globe showing the real-life prediction of what the New Jerusalem would look like if it came out. And it is huge. It is immense. The people 2,000 years ago who, well, 1900, 1700 years ago, actually, that really canonized our Bible, did not look at this book as a book that was a factual truth. They understood it was symbolic. Have you ever asked yourself, because in here, it says that this is something that's going to happen soon. It says, the time is near. Have you ever thought about what the word near means? I'll be honest. Whenever I hear the word near and think in terms of its opposite, anyone know what the opposite word would be? Far. Do you know what I think of? An episode of Sesame Street. Right? And Grover goes near, and then goes to the back, far, and then runs back and forth, saying near and far, and near and far, and near and far. That's what I think of. But when we think about it in terms, it means a short distance or a short time. This book was written between 60 and 90 AD, is what scholars believe. What is your definition of near? That, if you consider that the people who were reading this book lived an average of 50 years, right? That was the average life expectancy back then. That is 38 generations ago. Is that near or far to you? Can you, yeah, it's far for me. Can you, can you imagine? I could barely like think of what my kids' lives are going to be like. Can you imagine 37 generations from now when Amazon delivers to you for free before you think of what you want? Right, the predictive, you, you buy like two things when you're 10 years old and the scientific world can predict your behavior until you're 80 and just delivers you what you want. I'm telling you, do you think 100 years ago that those people could have ever imagined free two-day delivery from the moment you decided you wanted something? I remember as a kid being fascinated by my grandfather's Sears and Roebuck calendar. Right? The, the like, $300 car or something that was, not calendar, catalog, sorry. Um, he, had a, he had one. And you could buy a car for like $500 or something like that in this thing. And I thought, wow, that's, imagine that. That's incredible. At one point, a person had to figure out that they needed something. They had to figure out where they were going to get that something from. So they'd go to a catalog. Then you'd, in the back of that catalog, you would originally fill out an order form. But then they got that quicker because you could do a telegram. Right? And then from there they figured out, oh, you can phone it in. But then the postal system started flying these things. So you could then start getting your stuff there so quick, then they get their stuff back. 
150 years ago, your average mail order item would take you between three and six months to get. Can you imagine that world now? I can't imagine 37 generations into the future. I can barely imagine four generations behind. But somebody had an idea. Throughout history, we've had all sorts of things where, we, where we've been given visions about what could be. And this honestly came from gods. It came from humans looking to gods and asking, well, gosh, do you remember that really great day we had last week? If I pray to God hard enough, God will give me that really great day, and I'm going to create this idea of what the perfect day is, and, and I'm going to form an idea about who God is based on that perfect day. So in history, we have these pictures of gods that are based off of the human understanding of certain types of experiences. So gods took on the personas of what the event in nature was. How happy was Thor? Right? He was not a happy guy. You have all of these gods that are around storms. They're very upset. Then you have gods that are around very peaceful things. And you'd pray to these gods, trying to control the weather back and forth and back and forth. We created a concept of God based on the things of this earth. So when we, when we think about the sun and the moon, even in these day and age, we, we come up with an understanding of something, don't we? Okay, I'm going to use a shameless plug here for a gift I was given. Anyone know what we say when we understand something? I get it, or I see. The number one universal sign for having an idea? <laughs> Thanks to Janet for the light bulb, by the way. <laughs> you have an idea, right? You're <laughs> it lightens your way. It brightens things up. We still use the concept of light and dark. as a concept of what it means to understand and to know. We still use the concept of heat around love, right? Oh, that person gave me the cold shoulder. That was a great warm greeting. We use these concepts, and these concepts go to actually our relationship with what it feels like to be warm from the light of the sun, what it means to be, have light help us get where we're going. The nighttime is deemed a time of either ignorance or of, of fear because we don't know what's out there. Now, don't get me wrong, not everybody has to feel it. Some people love night. But generally speaking, we still have the dark night of the soul, I think is how the literature folks put it. The sun and the moon are still important for us, and yet in this story, they disappear. This is an important point, I think. What, what does it mean? When you heard that story, how many people picked up on the concept of the sun and moon disappearing? Probably not many of you outside of, oh, it said that. 
Not many of you exist in a world where the sun and moon are integral to your life because we have our smartwatches. Not many of us think about our lives in terms of these celestial bodies, which when the Bible was written, they were crucially and vitally important to understand harvest, to understand when you did things. At one point, 12 o'clock was whenever the sun was above your head. So there were different 12 o'clocks throughout the entire United States, depending on what town you lived in. And when you met someone, you met them based on its solar position that was relevant just to you, and it wasn't until the invention of timetables for trains that we actually needed to have standard time. Because 12 o'clock in two different places with two trains on the same track, not good. Bad things. At some point, we no longer needed the sun. Because a concept of what was true was about more than just ourselves. Swedenborg talks to us that the sun in this story, the sun in the Bible, symbolizes something. The love and wisdom of God. God as an entity or a deity. And the moon represents faith. Now, I have to admit, as a person who loved astronomy, this was really great. Because you know what? You rarely think about it this way. But when you look up and see the moon, how many of you actually think, I'm seeing a reflection of the sun? You don't. You just say, oh, there's the moon. But all the light, all the light that illuminates, and it's hard to see in Boston, I know, but if you ever go out into the country, away from the street lights, and you have a night where the sun is bouncing off the moon and makes it so you can see clearly in the middle of a field. In the absence of the sun, God finds a workaround by bouncing that light off the moon. It's an incredible statement, but that moon is gone in our scripture. A picture of the New Jerusalem is not about the materials. It's not about a time when this is going to happen. It is information to help you see a world that does exist right now, including transparent gold, including a world that has no sun or no moon. But that nearness is based not upon what you see, but what your spiritual reality is. Thomas Aquinas, a medieval theologian, maybe a modern theologian, if, depending where you draw the line, and the early Protestants in the United States especially, and Europe, they loved to say something. I'm sure you've all heard of this. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? You see, in the 16, 17, and 1800s, there was a whole line of theology studying things like this, about these cities descending from heaven, these transparent crystals, talking about angels, talking about the spiritual world. And as science came out more and more and more, they started to say, this stuff is ridiculous. They would say, what is the point of talking about heaven, of talking about spirituality, of looking at all the symbolism? It is 
meaningless because it distracts us from what is important in this world. Now I'm going to give you a revolutionary thought in my opinion, one that some of you may disagree with and I'm okay with that. I am going to argue that caring about the spiritual realities of what heaven is like, what angels are like, and how many angels fit on the heaven head of a pin is more important than you could ever realize. You see, like the person who first thought about putting a letter on a plane, or you have cell phones. Who was the first person who thought of a cell phone? Who was the first? Dick Tracy? Do you know why Dick Tracy had a smart communicator watch? Do you know why? Anyone know why? It was an easy, cheap way out for the studio as a plot device. So he could just do this and talk into his watch. It was much easier than some of the other ideas that they couldn't afford. Get smart, use the shoe phone. Anybody remember the shoe phone? That shoe phone was more expensive for them to make because it had an antenna that came out of it than it was for Dick Tracy, who they needed just an easy, cheap way to get Dick Tracy to talk to someone. Science fiction, Hollywood, actually the explosion of ideas that are now technological realities that have come out of the imagination, out of not really science, but because somebody had the vision to do something that sometimes was expedient. There's a whole world working on a Google Translator that the people openly acknowledged that it was uh, inspired by Star Trek. Right? Science fiction has created a world that people strive to achieve what they saw in their childhood. So here's the question I have for you. If we do not have a picture of what a loving, just, and good society is, how do we get there? Do we stumble into it? Is it an accident? To study heaven, and in this case, to study the New Jerusalem, to understand that the New Jerusalem is this symbolic story about what existence can be like about openness, honesty, a place where you don't need to worry about being lied to and manipulated. It's a story of what a church should be. It's a story of what a person should be, and then a church should be, and then we should strive to make the world to be. It is something that exists if we choose to live there. Right? We can choose to be honest. Someone asked me recently, well, do you believe what they were saying? And my response was, I have no reason to believe that what they're saying isn't true. It doesn't matter. If they want to lie, it hurts them. It doesn't hurt me. We can live in a world where we open ourselves up to being loving, to being good, to being honest, to being open, to welcome differences. How many friends do you have where you can say, it's okay that we don't agree? How many good Republican-Democrat friends are there where you can say, 
we don't agree on this topic, but I welcome you because you're challenging what I understand. And I am better because of our disagreement. Heaven has 12 gates, 12 tribes, 12 foundations. It has enough doors for everyone to enter it. It has enough doors for difference of opinions. It has bureaucracy, it has departments, it has all of that stuff that we need to make good decisions, but we do it out of love and openness. So this day is a day that we are celebrating Holy City Sunday. It is a day when we look to the book of Revelation for an idea before us of understanding that what is truly important in our life is do we have the intention of love, goodness, and openness before us. It is not about a day when we care about whether or not we get discounted two-day shipping. The values of the New Jerusalem are what we should strive for, and they are integral and more important than the things we want to collect on this earth. The value of heaven and the New Jerusalem is not about eventual reward, but is about vision of a transformation that God is inviting all of us to. And may we all actively participate and get to a place where we no longer need to care about the day of the week because we know that the Lord loves us and we no longer need to care about the need of light in the darkness, which is the moon, because our faith is ordering our steps. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.